Welcome along to another episode of Horsing Around with Horsepower. My name is Jishnu. My name is Max, and today we have a special guest. His name is Mark. And Mark, so tell us more about yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Mark, and I'm a student in mechanical engineering, and I like Formula One and anything with four wheels. Right. <laughs> So, Mark, um, as we do with any guests uh, on our podcast, uh, we've got two questions to ask you. Sure. The first question is, um, how did you get into F1? So, when I was young, uh, I actually started watching uh, the Singapore Grand Prix. I think when it came out in 2008 was the first time I watched it. Mm. And I saw this uh, blue-coloured Zoom Zoom thingy. Uh, there was Sebastian <laughs> Vettel's Toro also, and I thought it was cool. So I think I begged my grandparents to get me a model of it, and yeah, that's what got me addicted to Formula One. Strangely enough, that was sort of how I got interested as well. Well, it was uh, during the first uh, Singapore night race as well in two thousand eight. Well, good to know that. Uh, well, next question would be: If you had a choice to drive one car, any F one car, at any race track, what would it be? Uh. The Brown GP or the 2020 Mercedes uh, because both are legendary cars in the, each of their own ways. I mean, the Brown won the championship on its debut year, debut race. Yeah. The Mercedes is uh, a record-breaking car. So I drive both of them at Marina Bay Mini because I know the circuit pretty well. <laughs> and it's the only circuit that I can go around without punting other people off in online races. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess I could do pretty well. I think I can really relate to that, Mark. I've spent a lot of time on F1 2020 as well. And uh, why don't we start off right off with uh, the Austrian Grand Prix that just happened. Uh, how do you think it was? Do you find it an interesting race, a boring race? How would you rate it? I find that it was one of the more boring races of the season. I mean, Austria generally has been an exciting race, but with how France has panned out, uh, it's sort of diluted the past two races mm. uh austria austria number one and austria number two uh it's a more strategical based sort of race where uh i mean for Stefan had a really good race uh credit to him uh whereas i feel that the midfield battle was relatively interesting but not not up there in terms of uh, excitement although i feel that the russell alonso battle was pretty interesting and quite uh, exciting in terms of seeing whether the slowest or second slowest car on the grid could hold back a two-time world champion. Yeah, that was that was really nice to see. And uh, to our fans, to our listeners, uh, we're going to be talking more about the Austrian Grand Prix in our next episode, uh, which, where we'll dive in together with Hanno and Max uh, about the different uh, instances in the race weekend from, from free practice all the way through the race. And we're going to be talking about things like uh, why there were so many penalties in the race and uh, what happened to Mercedes, basically. And, uh, well, for this week's episode, we're going to start off with some of the big controversial talking points because this, as you know, is the banter episode. So I can't wait to start talking about this. Max, why don't you tell our yeah, listeners... Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> Clearly, he can't, stop, he can't wait to start talking about this. Uh, exactly. Max, why don't you tell us what happened with the new pit stop regulations that FIA planned to bring in? What's it all about and uh, why is it happening? Yes, so essentially, um, FI announced that there has to be a minimum time of, uh, of around 2.2 seconds for each and every pit stop. 
which to me is absolutely absurd. It totally defeats the purpose of Formula One, right? Um, if you ask me all about that. Okay, now, but before I proceed, well, um, it all started because Mercedes asked the FIA uh, about changes that they intended to make to the safety mechanism that are uh, involved in uh, during their pit stop. Um, however, there's word around, there's rumors around that actually this triggered the FIA to look into the safety issue regarding um, Red Bull pit stops mm-hmm. because they realized like Red Bull was 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 abnormally fast, right? Weren't they? Like, doing sub two seconds all this time. Yeah. So it was kind of weird, like like hey, it's there's something going on. It's not right. And so they investigated, and uh, well, actually they didn't really investigate it, uh, but what they actually went to do is that they want to put a rule down say, stating that there has to be a minimum of 0.15 seconds delay between the wheel nuts being fully tightened and the start of the front jack. And then there must be at least another 0.2 seconds uh, time between the jack was released and the green light being shown to the driver to move off. The logic behind this is because the FI noted that the average human reaction time uh, cannot... Uh, Actually, it's impossible to achieve a sub two second stop with just using human reaction times, and so using that assumption, yeah, they think they are thinking that Red Bull are maybe using automatic sensors to release the cars and uh, to mm. show to give the green light. So because they find it unsafe, that's why they want to clamp this down. But uh, I'm actually I, I really I'm really disappointed. Like I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Uh, I think Mark has has similar sentiments towards the FI because it totally defeats the purpose of the sport right like the whole entire meaning of formula one is to go fast and to set new records not trying to stop records from being broken right yeah true yeah i mean what what are your thoughts on this well i feel that what you say was right about records being broken uh second thing is well we've seen in the past that quick pit stops can really make or break the race and by slowing everyone down, it will still be a factor in terms of, well, the racing, but it's not going to be as exciting to see, oh, maybe Verstappen's gone a 1.8 in the pits compared to Hamilton who did a 3.2 per se, where it could change the outcome of the race by a lot. We've seen that in uh, Singapore 2019 to a small extent with uh, Vettel and Leclerc, with Leclerc leading the race and uh, Vettel doing the undercut which I feel that the pit stop really helped him. And yeah, um, slowing down the pit stop is something, is one of just the few missteps the FIA have done in recent years <laughs> to so-called improve racing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can see that point. And I can see that point totally. I mean, the name of the game is, form, is all about speed, you know, it's about trying to get the shortest time possible and all that. So I can definitely agree with you guys when you say that, you know, it's, uh, it seems totally unreasonable. Uh, but as a Mercedes fan, I need to point out that, you know, a lot of people are being angry towards Mercedes <laughs> because they felt that Mercedes are the ones that triggered FIA yeah. to look into this. Yeah. But I mean, uh, can I just say for the defense of Mercedes that uh, this is a very common thing that, happen in, that happens in Formula 1. You know, teams often complain about one another, especially the fastest teams, uh, complaining about the championship leaders. And uh, yeah. no, I mean, it's, it's normal for like the, the winning team, or like in this case, Red Bull with the fastest pit stop to point their fingers towards Mercedes and blame them. But in all honesty, even I myself as a Red Bull fan, uh, it's really not Mercedes's fault. Like, I'm pretty sure it wasn't in their, in the, it wasn't part of the intention to actually cause this uh, change of rules. Uh. Yeah, but 
I, I mean, even if it was, I feel like looking at the past instances where FIA has introduced regulation changes to, to sort of, with the unintentional effect of slowing down the leader, shall we say. Like if you look back in the past, uh, Mercedes always had this thing called the party mode in qualifying, uh, especially in 2018, 2019, where they would just turn it up in qualifying, turn up the engine in qualifying, and then they'll be able to pull off this uh, incredible qualifying laps. And then the FIA literally implemented the party mode regulations saying that the engine mode should not be turned up in qualifying. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that's just, uh, there's no safety aspect involved over there. It's literally for the purpose of slowing down the championship leader and to, 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 to make the competition tighter. Yeah. Which I agree we should make the competition tighter, but should we be doing that by slowing down the leader? Exactly. Or should we be doing that by helping the other teams catch up, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys might want to remember that in 2018, I believe, when Formula One changed to the Liberty Media um, stakeholders, they were called engineered insanity. And, uh, well, isn't pit stops part of the engineering and the insanity where well, <laughs> a team like Red Bull or Williams could pull off a sub two second lap, uh, sub two second pit stop and just break world records? That That is very true. I mean, I, I definitely feel that, you know. Uh, we should we should not try to slow down the the, the 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 sport itself, you know, for the sake of competition. So in this opinion, I feel like you know FIA might be might should be doing something different over here. But at the same time, I understand that you know uh, it's their duty to literally uh, prioritize safety, you know, over the fairness of the competition. Yeah, so, but, yeah, exactly. But they shouldn't sacrifice safety for outright um, like speed and like trying to achieve technological advancements, which is what they're doing right now. That's why we are so angry at them. I feel that it's a double-edged sword in the sense that, yeah, FIA are kind of shooting us in the foot or rather just screwing up the racing and just making it a bit more boring that we can't see sub-two-second stops. But don't forget that every time FIA has sort of tried to slow down the competition, there have also been... Pretty good competition, uh, 2010, 2009, 2012, I believe, with the step noses. It uh, mm. was also quite a tight season. So I think that the pit stop thing might slightly contribute to racing, but not as much as probably the 2022 Rex. So, yeah. Right. And also, I feel like I should clarify that, uh, that there are two parties involved in this. One is obviously FIA and the other is F1. So F1 is the organization that's responsible for sort of ensuring that, you know, the competition is, is fair and things remain competitive. And the sport is basically, the entertainment value is there. And the FIA is their responsibility is to ensure that, you know, this, the sport remains safe and uh, quick, basically. So yeah. I feel like FIA are doing their job, but it's just really unfortunate that this is slowing down. This is very often very often the case that, you know, it, they, they, their regulations end up slowing down the, the championship leaders. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, let's not get too bogged down on this per se. Um, but we, I guess, we can all agree that what FI's new decision was is kind of dumb, and <laughs> it doesn't really help the sport much. Uh, I'm guessing we can agree on all. We can all agree on that. Yep. Yep. And now to the next point of this episode would be that why am the hell Mercedes's car so slow, Uh Why? Good question, Max. I don't understand why. As a non-Red Bull, as a non-Mercedes fan, I, was, I myself was really surprised. I have a couple of sensible reasons lined up. But can I also point out that uh, ever since we started this podcast, which was just before Monaco, Mercedes have been having 
pretty rough weekend yeah. and Red Bull on the other hand have gone on to win the five consecutive races in yes, a row. they did <laughs> so I can't help but think that you know this might have something to do with it mm-hmm. but uh, let's take a look at it let's take a look at you know what what could be some of the realistic reasons so uh, after the first race in Austria Toto Wolff actually noted like in the press that uh, Red Bull had brought in like trucks full of upgrades to their car and uh, they were rushing the upgrades to the extent that you know they only had one new rear diffuser to bring into the track. So Verstappen obviously got the, the new diffuser. And then for the second race, they had to manufacture the new upgrade in time to ensure that Paris also had the upgrade. So Rebu are really pushing flat out on this, this season's car, it seems like. And uh, whereas Mercedes, Toto Wolff and James Allison actually mentioned that they have switched focus to 2022 car already. And uh, they, are, they do plan, they do have an up, one upgrade planned, which is going to be coming mm-hmm. out in yep. Silverstone. Uh, next next or next next week but uh, in terms of focusing their efforts and research and development uh, it, they've already been switched over to 2022 so there's some question as to whether or not this is the right choice and whether or not uh, they should be sacrificing this year's championship uh, but what do you guys think Mark what do you think I feel that for the sake of competing in a new era uh, Mercedes can forgo this championship it would it would still be an interesting Thing to see a title fight between Verstappen and Lewis and probably Perez. Yeah. But uh, if Mercedes focus to the new era like what they did uh, back in 2013 with the introduction of the V6 turbo hybrids, uh, they could really get a jump on Red Bull because Red Bull are sort of wasting their time in a sense by introducing upgrades. Well, yeah, they could win the season again like what happened in 2013 with Vettel. But as we've seen in 2014 with the new engines, Red Bull were nowhere yep, yep. compared to Mercedes who probably spent most of their time developing the new power unit. So I feel that Mercedes are taking a step in the right direction by focusing on next year's wrecks, getting a head start, probably getting some trips into the car. Uh, same with Haas maybe. Ah, Haas might yep, also yep. be at top of the midfield or something, yeah. who knows. But yeah, this if this if they still continue to upgrade their car like Red Bull, there could be a title fight. I mean, Mercedes has been pretty strong after the mid season, uh, throughout the past few years, especially with twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, it could be interesting. Yeah, I'm actually expecting Mercedes right with the next upgrade in due for Silverstone. I'm expecting them to actually close the gap, which makes it even. Like it makes me even more worried. Actually, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I I do I do appreciate the competition though. Actually, uh, but yeah, I, I do find that uh, I think them focusing on the twenty twenty two twenty 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 two car is a right, is, um, pretty alright decision lah. Uh, even if like they are doing that and not focusing on the twenty twenty one car, I'm still surprised that their current car is still so competitive. Actually, which really surprises me. Right, and. Actually, the reason why one of the bigger reasons why Mercedes seem to have switched focus to the twenty twenty two car is actually because of the new floor regulations that were brought in for twenty twenty one, and uh, what this what what the regulations means is that uh, teams that run a higher rake, which is basically the angle between the track and the bottom of the car, so a higher rake essentially means a higher angle, and uh, Red Bull is one of the teams that runs uh, a far higher angle uh, of rake than other teams. And uh, F1.com noted that, you know, these regulations actually helps teams with higher rake because it means that any aerodynamic development that they make in the floor region actually has a higher impact on their cars. So it essentially means that, you know, Mercedes will have to work harder than Red Bull for every bit of performance gain because of new regulations. Uh, 
So that could be one of the reasons why Mercedes feel that they have to switch uh, very early on into the 2022 car. Yep, definitely. Yeah, and also another, another factor to note is that Rebels seem to be faster in the straights, which is very surprising because that was always a problem for them in the past. We've always mm-hmm. go to like tracks like Singapore and Monaco and then they'll be super quick, right on pace with the Ferraris and the Red Bulls in the past. But uh, this year they seem to be faster also in the straights, which, is, uh, which, which, which was what made for a very interesting past few couple of races. And uh, yeah. Lewis Hamilton suggested that you know this might have something to do with the Honda power unit. But uh, that was not the case, was it, Max? Yeah, no, I don't think so, right? Because uh, Red Bull actually mentioned that it's the, the increase in performance is due to uh, the engineers actually better understanding their engine, uh, which allowed them to make changes to it and actually extract more power from the uh, Honda power unit. Yeah, and also the, the aerodynamic developments that Red Bull have been doing uh, with regards to the rear diffuser, especially, has enabled them to sort of make their rear wings thinner because they can uh, take that downforce from the floor itself instead of taking it from the wing. And uh, there's always this trade-off between downforce and drag when it comes to the rear wing, which is what makes it seem that, you know, they are going faster on the straights because of the power unit, but it's actually because of this clever bit of aerodynamics, that, uh, aerodynamic development that's been going on. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, it's actually also worth noting that the engine development for this season has actually been halted by FIA, because they want to save costs and uh, new upgrades can only be made for reliability reasons to the extent that you know all the manufacturers in the FIA actually have to approve an upgrade for either for all the teams before it can be made and that's why Honda said that you know it's not their power unit that is making all the changes to the Red Bull space yeah I agree and for any of those new viewers who are just wondering like what's rear diffuser what's all that um, it's actually the rear diffuser is the bottom portion of the car that you see from the rear uh, that area actually, they designed it such that it creates a suction in it and it literally sucks the car into the ground, providing extra downforce. Uh, that was what Jishnu was mentioning about the trade-off between the uh, downforce as well as the rear wings. Yeah. Moving on, actually, um, we've talked enough about the cars, about the tracks. Uh, let's move on to the drivers instead. Now, news just broke a few days ago that Hamilton has just signed another two years with Mercedes. Um, only barely after a month after starting conversations. So, but now Hamilton's position has been guaranteed. The question leaves to be answered, which is who is going to take that second seat at Mercedes? What do you guys think? I actually think that the rumours that uh, Russell could be announced at Silverstone Ooh. could be quite possible, actually. I mean, we're going into Mercedes's technically home race, one of their home race. Uh, if it's still in UK. So uh, with Hamilton being well, the first British driver to be confirmed apart from Norris, uh, Russell hasn't, have, hasn't had any uh, real negotiations with Williams uh, as far as I could read from news sources and stuff. So it could be possible that Williams might hold him back for another year. Uh, I mean, he's the one that's carrying the team mostly to... Pretty decent positions, P11, P12, Q3 in Austria, especially uh, Latifi as well. So I feel that there is a 50-50 chance that Russell could be announced for Mercedes in Silverstone or also keep his seat in Williams with uh, Latifi or maybe even Nissani since he's been doing all these FP1 tests recently with the team. Yeah. Well, what are you, Jason? How do you think? Who's going to take that second seat? 
Well, firstly, I'm very happy that Hamilton has signed for two years. I, 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 can't, I can't bear the thought of him leaving F1 just about yet, you know, without his eighth title in the bag yet. So it's good to see him there. But as for the second seat, it is, wow, uh, mixed opinions really. For one, I feel like Bottas is, is, he's had a difficult few years, let's be honest. He's, he had some tough luck, but also in some opinions, in some ways, he has brought that upon himself. Like he hasn't really shown that he's, you know, able to compete with Hamilton throughout a season consistently, which is quite disappointing. But on occasion, you know, he shows like he has real pace. So while I am a fan of continuity, I feel like Russell really, really deserves the seat. And, uh, you know, his talent has only been shining through and through in these past few couple of races. So I personally would say I would want to see Russell in the second seat for Mercedes next year. Uh, so sorry to Bottas, but I guess four years is plenty of long enough time for him to prove himself. Yeah, maybe they can do the old switch rule, bring Russell to Mercedes and put Bottas back into Williams, perhaps. Ah, that. But yeah. Yeah, true. That is possible. That, that could be that could be a possibility. I'm I'm actually that's where I'm, I'm putting my money on. Uh, would it be un, Would it be likely? No, actually, it would be unlikely that they would demote Russell back to Williams. Uh, sorry, I mean Bottas to Williams. Yeah, but. Uh, Russell going up to Mercedes, it is possible because uh, seeing his performance throughout the year is really solid. But then again, we are not sure how Mercedes would like it if they are like two fast drivers or like right. two competing, two, two drivers that wants to compete for the World Championship. I mean, we all saw that evidently during the Hamilton-Rosberg <laughs> era. Yeah, that didn't end up well, did it? No, definitely not. <laughs> It, w- it went so sour to the extent that, you know, Toto Wolf had to even threaten their drivers with a race ban. So, yeah. <laughs> not sure if Toto Wolf so, will want to do that again this time. Yeah, maybe he learned his lesson already. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it also raises a question about, you know, is it right for Russell to have to wait for so long for a top drive? Because you look at the other drivers, well, Stefan got a Red Bull seat in, like, his second year. But I think you can say that he's a bit of an exceptional case, considering he joined F1 when he was, like, 16, 17. Yeah. And then you have other drivers like Perez who's had to wait like 10 years for getting a top drive. And yeah. that's despite being a Ferrari driver, academy driver in his youth. And then he was also being scouted by McLaren early on. So it, it raises a lot of questions about, you know, the driver, the driver market, which is something that's really exciting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, honestly. But unfortunately, like much of this information isn't, isn't publicly available to us. Like the behind the scenes, it's all of a sudden like mm. team and the drivers just announced that oh I'm signing uh, a contract with this team so and so so it's really still behind the curtain sort of la. yeah and, and, and another driver another second driver contract that has yet to be renewed is uh, in Red Bull do you guys think it's going to be Perez or Gasly or is it going to be Sonoda maybe even <laughs> I think it's actually still going to be Perez yeah. I mean, he's really proven himself to be a really consistent driver. He's been in the points yep. practically every race, as far as I can remember. Uh, he's done really, really well. He's won in Baku. Although a bit of luck was on his side. I mean, his teammate did have a puncture and all. Yeah. But with Perez consistently being in the top five on the podium, uh, unlike his predecessors of Gasly and Albon, uh, yeah. I feel that they would keep playing for 2022, possibly 2023 and onwards right. if he does really well. I think it's going to be Paris as well. I mean, looking at his recent form, I feel like it's going to be Paris. Plus, you know, Red Bull, they haven't really have a great history of, you know, bringing back drivers to their, to their teams, like moving up and down. 
So I don't think they'll be comfortable with bringing Gasly back into a Red Bull. Yeah. Especially with Perez's recent form. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, I think they'll just keep Perez there as well. He's proven not only actually in, in just in the past races with Red Bull, but also in his previous teams in uh, Racing Point and in Force India. In fact, if I remember during his time in Force India, uh, out of all the races, out of all the years they were running, right, he was the one that actually scored most, if not all of the podium finishes, all achieved by him. So it really goes to show like the talent that he possesses. So, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Helmut Marco would not be pleased to bring back Gasly at all. He just wouldn't want to. I mean, it will really put a dent on his uh, image, right? Yeah. Or Marco. But I feel that Perez, uh, uh, sorry, Gasly would deserve a top drive. I mean, he's done really well in the AlphaTauri. Uh, quite a few podiums, a win in Monza, although still luck again, but... Yeah, he, he's a consistent driver when he's not the one getting shunted or anything. <laughs> yeah. He's quite a great driver. He has the will to drive fast, especially in Spa, if I remember correctly, after he was booted and the death of his friend, Antoine. So, yeah, I hope Gasly gets a top drive. Yeah. Soon. And you know what? Something that I'm really excited about is actually looking at you know all the contracts that are being signed and the contracts that actually exist. Uh, you're seeing all the young drivers really make a switch up or like they're preparing for next generation of title contenders you know look at Verstappen at Red Bull Leclerc at Ferrari uh, Lando Norris at McLaren and Corisi Russell at Mercedes maybe hopefully who knows it's all very exciting to see and uh, one of the other teams that are really concerned about their future or not really concerned I would say but like that this team is really taking some strong steps forward and uh, really look to be uh pushing for the title challenges in the next coming years. And that is, of course, Aston Martin. Uh, they are, of course, reshuffling their team and implementing a new technical structure that is supposed to be mirroring some of the most successful F1 teams like Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, according, to La- according to Lawrence Stroll, uh, the team owner. And uh, this is a bit of an interesting news because Aston Martin uh, is a huge brand, but so far they've been a pretty unknown team, you know. Like, it's been running through so many different names and so many different owners and management. And now they are here to properly contend for, the, properly fight for the title. So they're, they're really hiring, you know, strong people from other teams. And most notably, they've hired uh, Red Bull's current head of aerodynamics, who actually worked with Red Bull right from their early days in 2006. So, you know, he's been working together with Adrian Newey and he's been around for the championship winning years. So, yeah, and Aston Martin also plans to hire over 200 personnel and they also plan to open a new factory next year. All of this to help them take the fight to the top teams. What do you guys think about this team? Uh, are they ready to fight for titles? What, they, what do you think about them? So you're saying the guy from Red Bull betrayed Red Bull to move <laughs> into Aston just because Lawrence Stroh said, oh, I'm going to pay you more, join me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but essentially, uh, I, I'm really not sure on this one. I guess this isn't something that you achieve within the season or within the next season. Uh, it takes time, so mm. not in the foreseeable future, for say per se. But yeah, likely maybe five years down the road. You never know. It can be at where Mercedes is right now. Even Red Bull. Yeah, it's F1 is bound to change, and change is always constant. Right, that is very true, and. Uh... Well, Mark, any, any thoughts on Aston Martin? Well, uh, I'm a fan of Aston Martin, so my take might be a bit biased, but uh, I feel that 
if they get a jump on the 22 regs, they could be in the top midfield, maybe like McLaren, where they could be also fighting for wins. For a championship, maybe it'll take two to three years, uh, but uh, I can definitely see them with uh, a great driver pairing. Mm. And I mean, Lance Stroll was not really the best driver during his rookie years, but uh, he's definitely improved a lot. I mean, pole position at a soaking wet, oily, greasy Turkish Grand Prix, uh, just like their food. Wait, what? Um, yeah. Uh, it's, what? <laughs> I mean... That, is, that, that qualifying lap was based on just skill and not even Hamilton in the title-winning Mercedes that weekend would, could catch up to Lance So in the wet, Lance is good. Uh, I feel that Vettel will also be a great asset to the team, especially after he retires, if he does in the near future, uh, unlike his uh, dear Ferrari friend Raikkonen. Uh, he could be also like a advisor to the team mm. where, I mean, he has experience with four titles and uh, he could give valuable advice like uh, Nicky Lauda, Alain Prost, um, who else was there? Alonso for a short while uh, on apparently the junior formula engines to uh, his former team McLaren. Mm. So, yeah. Yep. Well, just a just a point out. Uh, yeah, you're right on the, the part where uh, Turkish food being oily and greasy, but not soaking wet. That that title is like solely reserved for like the crabby patty. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, as a, some closing thoughts, uh, what are your drivers of the day for the Austrian GP? So uh, mine would be Lando Norris. I mean, he's put up a huge fight against Mercedes. Uh, Sergio Perez for a limited amount of laps mm. before he sent him into the gravel, just like. <laughs> Um, Hamilton did with Albon, but uh, yeah, keeping pace with Bottas, especially after well, the whole chaotic towards the end of the race, actually, he was keeping, I think, one to two seconds of Bottas. Which for McLaren, which is essentially a beta version of the Mercedes, <laughs> um, to some extent, I feel that yeah, he is really, really my driver of the day, maybe even driver of the weekend, but it will still go to George Russell. Fair enough, uh, Max, what do you think? Well, for me, good old boy Dan Rick from Down Under. I mean, started 13, then qualifying, finished 7. Uh, really put up a great fight, holding back the Ferraris. Uh, even though we could tell that he was not really comfortable in his car. Really, really fast car, mm-hmm. being yeah. in a Mercedes. Uh, of course, he didn't manage to hold back the Ferraris in the end, but still, props to him for at least getting into the points, which is, like, like, which is what I like to see. Yeah, and I guess we're all going with McLaren then, huh? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean Russell put in a great performance. I'll just put in a quick word for him. Really, really top drop, you know, to to compete with uh, Fernando Alonso and to compete for points just on pure merit. It's really, really uh, incredible what he's doing with the car. But again, I, I think I'll go with McLaren as well for driver of the day. I'm going to say Lando Norris because uh, he he's also much like George Russell, putting that car like in places where it where you wouldn't expect it to be. And uh, it's very nice to see a McLaren back at the top, you know, because originally I started becoming an F1 fan with a Lewis Hamilton in the McLaren. So it's nice to see another young Brit, uh, you know, outperforming his car in the McLaren. So yeah, I would say Lando is definitely my driver of the day. And uh, well, I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. But uh, for you listeners out there, we have another episode coming out later this week. 
So definitely stick around for that, where we're going to dive into some of the more technical details of the race weekend, not just uh, free practice and qualifying, but also the race itself. We're going to be looking at things like, why were there so many penalties? You know, should Norris have gotten the penalty? That's a very controversial one to talk about. And uh, stuff like, you know, the Perez-Leclerc battle and... Why were the Mercedes cars so sensitive to the curbs, uh, particularly Lewis Hamilton's car? And uh, a lot of other f- interesting stuff to talk about in that uh, episode, so do stick around. And uh, as for today, uh, thank you, Max. Thank you, Mark, for joining us as well. Thanks to the listeners to, for hearing my uh, very bad opinions about uh, people racing in circles for two hours. <laughs> honest opinions. Yeah, honest all opinions. Right. Thank you, all viewers. Have a great day. See you soon.